Agents Podcast. Welcome to the Lab Code Agents Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Lab Code Agents Marketing Center. The LCA Marketing Center is designed specifically for the real estate world. It's a design center for marketing that has templates created so you can just plug and play. From flyers, postcards, buyer presentations to open house signs and Instagram posts. Check it out for free for seven days at lcamarketingcenter.com. Creating real estate success. What do you need? In this week's episode of the Lab Code Agents podcast, we talked to Sharon Srivatsa, the CEO of Kingston Lane, about lessons learned growing a real estate business 10x to over $3.4 billion. We discuss great ideas on identifying the one thing you need to fix today in your real estate business to grow. Is it traffic, systems, or skills? Because once you truly identify what is broken, you can fix that issue and create continuous inventory. This is a dynamic conversation about business growth with great takeaways for everyone. So let's get started. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lab Code Agents podcast. And this is a fun one because we are actually at LCA Live right now in San Diego, Coronado Island. And we were at the Hotel Dell. This is absolutely amazing. So the audio is going to be a little bit different, right? And, uh, but, the, but the talent here is, is, is impressive. And it's actually 9.40 p.m. here in San Diego. Uh, but this is the opportunity that I had to interview this gentleman who is one of my heroes, one of my real estate heroes. Ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome you to the show, Mr. Shiran Srivatsa of Kingston Lane. He was a badass speaker today at LCA Live. And now I get the opportunity to talk about all things real estate and how he can help your business. My brother, welcome. Awesome, Jeff. Good to be here, man. Thank you for having me. It's late, brother. It's late. So can you bring the energy that Sharon brings <laughs> on a daily basis? Can, can you do that? It'd be after hours here. It's good. And you know what's even better is we actually have an audience. Yeah. Actually this is an our, audience. This is our first, uh, this may be the first LCA Live, live podcast to a live audience. This is history. Yeah. This is history in the making, and this is going to be fun. And... Uh, as, as I usually say on most podcasts, so, so a lot of times I'm interviewing people I've never met before. So it's just like going out of the blue. Well, I know Sharon very well. We've done a lot of things together. He's visited us in St. Louis, but we don't have an agenda here. So we're just going to chat. We're going to talk about things. Uh, and I think the first thing I want to talk to you about on this show is, is tell the listener, the, the, the ones who live under a rock, who don't know you very well, tell us about you. Uh, what are you, where you're from, your upbringing in the business, what do you do now, et cetera. Awesome. Cool. So I am a, I'm a father, a husband, I have two little kids. I live in Laguna Beach, California, and we, I, get, I get to run an amazing company called Kingston Lane, and all of you should be part of it because we help real estate agents grow and scale their business. But most importantly, I, I grew up in really humble beginnings. My parents who are the unfair advantage that I have for myself in my life. They couldn't have more children because they didn't think that they'd have enough capacity, capability, resources to, to provide for more than one child. So it was just me and they gave me a, they made a lot of sacrifices for me and uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun ride along the way. 
and a ton of lessons learned. You bring up a good point. So you're bringing up some memories of an amazing interview that you did, which was another podcast, which was, a, you know, you put on YouTube. I watched the whole thing. It was amazing. It was like two hours. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we're going to go two hours. It's going to be past your bedtime. Uh, so let's just, let, I want to, I want to have you hit on a couple of things. So uh, your upbringing was not here. Right. It was in. It was in India. Yeah. So my, I was born in, I was born and raised early childhood in India. And what was the, what, what got you here? So what happened was uh, I, I started having symptoms of what people would call ADD, ADHD, dyslexia. I was color, I am colorblind. I am tone deaf. So all the things that you could put into one person, right, was me. And I was struggled at school, but I, it was not cool. It's not cool in India to tell your parents that you're struggling at school. And that's, but my, my parents eventually found out, they realized that, I had a lot of things not going in my favor. So how do you make it better? And my, my parents sold everything that they had to create a new life for me. So that was the, one of the biggest sacrifices. They, they sold every single thing that they had to send me out of India so I could create a better life for myself in, a, in an environment that didn't penalize you for being all those things. And what was that vehicle? So the hard part is I didn't have... So I just, if, scholastically didn't have the skill musically didn't have the skill creativity wise didn't have the skill and the only way i i knew was my 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 dad and i schemed that we that i would acquire a new skill so i acquired the skill of tennis and acquired the skill over a four or five year period and then uh, tennis was the ticket to actually leaving india very cool. And, and so let me just give everyone a little context here. The reason I'm asking these questions is because I want you to understand what his upbringing is, where he comes from. So anybody who ever has an excuse of, <laughs> of why you can or can't do something, in most cases can't, this guy is, is insanely successful and we'll talk more about that. But I want that's the reason for this. So uh, let's fast forward. You, you came to the States. Uh, this is a great story. I won't have you tell the whole thing. Just how when you got here and you had 100 bucks to your name yeah. and uh, blah, blah, blah. You ended up going to uh, college where in Iowa? In Iowa, and you had a really cool. Tell them about your first success story when you were at college. So the first success story was so my parents had uh, sold everything that they had, and they gave me one year's worth of completely paid everything, tuition, room, board, everything. So they gave me the check that would survive a whole year, and they said, "Hey, for your college, here's one year." If you make, if you can figure out how to make the next three years, which I hope you do, that'd be awesome. Stay, do your thing. And if you can't, for some reason, we're your safety net, come back and we'll take care of you, which I thought was amazing, right? They just even gave me a safety net to fail, but there was no way I was ever going back. There was no way that that structure just did not work for me. And so as soon as I got to college, I was like, how do I make next year's tuition? That's a lot of money. And I just got here. And so... This was old school, Jeff, when we were first, the, the labs in the college had internet. There's no Wi-Fi, so, you know, close to almost 18, 20 years ago. They were just hardwiring the dorms. And I walked into the first dorm room and I saw this hardwire. And I was like, this is amazing. I get a cable to my computer. This is, I don't have to go to the lab to check my email. But then there's 13 feet from the door where the box was for the cable to the actual desk. It was the bed, closet, and desk. And I was like, there's gotta be a way to get this cable. So I drove to Minneapolis, bought a cable, and I was like, this is a lot of money and very inconvenient, and six hours to get a cable for 13 feet. 
I wonder if everybody at college is going to need this. So I convinced my roommate at that time to use his parents' credit card to buy as much cable as we could. And since I didn't have many clothes and et cetera, I shoved them all in my closet. And we sold cable for $3 a foot. Sold cable for $3 a foot to like 900 and something dorm rooms. And we made $57,000 in three weeks. <laughs> I'd never seen $57,000 in my life. And it was, most of it was cash. <laughs> and um, we literally stuffed it in our mattress because I didn't know what else to do with the cash. And I remember first few weeks, I would just take a couple thousand dollars at a time to the bank. And I had enough money for a second year of school and then built upon that. So $3 a foot for Ethernet cable. That's absolutely amazing. So let's now let's fast forward to uh, the next big success story. Okay, so you had the next one where you had the, uh, your, your first company that you sold. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the, uh, I was one of the early uh, folks in a technology startup uh, during the boom. My, I was actually presenting at a, a fair a contest, if you will, a competition. And I, I'd lost. I didn't win in the competition, but one of the judges was actually an investor. And he pulled me aside and he's like, hey, um, I, sorry, you didn't win. <laughs> but the technology, the idea that you presented may be a really good fit for these couple of guys that I funded. You should meet them. And I was still in school at the time, still in my senior year. So I met with them. They figured out that what I had was good for them and joined on very early. We raised we raised a lot of money, millions of dollars, uh, $27 million to be exact. And then we built and grew the company during the technology boom. And, uh, and then we had a good exit. We, had, we got bought by a publicly traded company. So that was the first time kind of seeing all of that happen. But the interesting part is if I had actually managed my life, managed my finances, managed my, got good advice on the things that I had, I would never have to work ever again. I uh, know that not, the world has been very kind, but my wife calls it, she's like, you lost a jet and a yacht. <laughs> she's like, you lost a jet and a yacht. And it's, just, it's fascinating when you think about stuff that way, right? And so and the interest, how, how it all happened because I was 21 years old and contractually naive. Everything was done legally. You know, everything was done by the rules, but I just didn't know certain things in my contract got triggered. And that dramatically reduced my my big payout, which could have been, which was even, even the dramatically reduced payout was life-changing, but it would have, it would have changed everything. Sure. Uh, and once something like that happens, you get very careful, uh, not, not, uh, suspicious, just you, you want to be well-educated on all decisions that you make. And you start to over-index on the other side. So from that day, anything that I did contractual was just done with a lot of fairness, a lot of kindness, a lot of clarity, so that I knew, hey, whatever situation happened, I was protected. And I don't think a lot of us do that. We just, you know, we do shake hand partnership agreements, which is why the number one reason real estate partnerships fail is because there's no agreement. Number one reason why you see partnerships fail right now on real estate teams across, around the world, is because they're like, Jeff, you're awesome, I like you, we should do this, we should do this together, we do it, and then there's no mutual expectations. So if you talk about a big lesson, even if, if you and your partner, your team cannot come up with a one page of mutual agreements, there is a great opportunity there. You may be good friends with your partner. It's a, there's a great opportunity there to memorialize and create this artifact for you guys to work together. So that was a, uh, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in putting, you know, what you believe down on paper. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
you uh, exited that business with a far less payout than you should have gotten, but still far more than most people ever probably get in their entire life, right? You, I'm going to tell them the story. You moved to Hawaii and yeah. became a tennis coach, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you had some fun. You just, yeah. just loved life, which is great. Uh, what happened next? So after five years, I was in the Caribbean for a year and Dubai for a year, and then on Maui for three years. So five years of being a teaching pro. And then you were like, you know what? There's, it, it was good. Like, it was good. I learned a lot. I was in great shape. I played a lot of tennis. But then and you were in your 20s then. Right? I was in my 20s then. Okay. And then I realized I got to do something. What do I do next? And either I go start a new business or and I didn't really know what I was going to start a business with. And I decided that, hey, you know what? It'd be amazing if I actually went to business school, graduate school, get my MBA, and then use the MBA to launch into whatever career path that I want. Because the MBA is the, you know, kind of the, the gold standard of switching, switching lives, switching careers, et cetera. So I, I got my MBA at Vanderbilt, and then I became an investment banker at Goldman Sachs in New York. That's amazing. Okay. And, and so you did that for how long? Close to five, five and a half years. I was, I was in banking close to five and a half years. And then post-banking, you decided to get into real estate. <laughs> yeah. So when, after our first exit, my, the original guy who got me connected to the first company was the judge in this contest that I talked about in this fair. He and I have become, we became partners and he is almost like a father figure to me. Uh, he is a good say 25 years older than I am. So he kind of taught me the ways of investing. And so I became this cool venture capitalist. I'm like, hey, I'm going to drop money on companies. I'm, I'm, hot, I'm hot stuff. Every company needs to come to me to pitch to me how great their idea was. And I would write a check and I'd feel so great. And we even, I even lost a lot of that. Is that I, I, gotta, I gotta come to terms with, all, with that hubris and that ego. But it, then I realized I just gotta go do something else. I gotta find another path. And I wanna... I wanted to figure out why I was why I lost my why I lost all that money originally. Then I figured out well, I wanted to figure out why I lost money investing. Like how do I invest better? Then I wanted to figure out like how do I run a better company next time? And everybody told me the only way to do that is to understand how companies are built. And investment banking was the way to do that. And that was a big reason why I went to Goldman Sachs. That was all of that. And when I went to Goldman, if people don't know, that's kind of the, one of the marquee investment banks in the world. I had invested in a, I had invested in a uh, technology company and the technology company was serving the real estate industry. And we started investing in different companies. And my partner and I, we actually invested in a small company called Telus Properties. It was a small brokerage business in Beverly Hills, California with an amazing idea to serve the luxury market. Very, very kind of fashion forward, concept forward. Three good partners at that time who had a, this amazing vision but what happened was the original partner's vision started fragmenting and going in the wrong direction. They just all couldn't agree upon what the future of the company would be. So they brought my partner in actually, not even me, as counsel just to help them mediate. Well, my partner, when he came on as counsel, said, hey, I, I can help mediate three partners, but someone's got to run the business at that time. So I actually took a leave of absence from my banking job. I came out and I, to California and I ran the business briefly. And then we realized there was so much opportunity. The original partners were going the wrong direction. So me and my partner actually bought as many people as we could out to take over and run this little real estate company and figure out what we can do with it. How little was it? It was one office, 35 agents, and we were roughly doing 300 million in sales. And where did you take it? So in five years, we grew the business to from one office, 30, 
233 agents, 300 million in sales to 22 offices, 600 agents, and 3.4 billion in sales. That's ridiculous. Ridiculously good. Okay. And uh, what happened after that? So after we had built this 22 office footprint along the California coast, we got approached by the uh, probably the largest independent in the U.S., Douglas Elliman, uh, out of New York. They wanted a California presence. They wanted a luxury market California presence. It was almost serendipity where we had built the exact footprint they felt like they had wanted. So we became a really good acquisition target for them. And they acquired us close to uh, 14, 15 months ago. And that took, that's, that fast forwards us to today. Where is the days of Kingston Lane, which you've yeah. already brought up? Yeah. So, and you just, you, you barely touched on it. Um, but let's let the uh, listener understand what Kingston Lane is and how it relates to their business and how it can help their business. Yeah. So the, the, as we were growing the real estate business, I realized that uh, we, as the real estate community, brokers, coaches, platform companies, et cetera, I believe that we're letting agents down. I believe we're letting agents down because we are selling agents individual pieces of software or solutions that are only causing agents to actually have to struggle more. So the average agent who is working sometimes you know, two jobs or at least is working their face off, they drop their kids off at school, they go, they go to the office, they're sitting in a bullpen, they're trying to make some calls, they look at some contracts, they're like, oh my gosh, I gotta use this piece of software, then they have to log out of that, they gotta go to another piece of software, and someone says it's Zapier, you have to connect the pieces of software, and someone says you should look at this YouTube video, you should look at this training, and the daisy chain goes on and on, it's four o'clock already, and did not move the ball forward. So I really believe we're letting our agents down. I think it's our fault, and brokers are trying to fix it, coaches are trying to fix it, companies are trying to fix it, but the problem is, is that everyone wants to provide one little piece of a solution because that is how the world tells you to do it. Meaning people say, just focus on one thing. Just like we tell agents to focus only on selling, the investing world tells companies to be built to only focus on, hey, just focus on generating Facebook only leads. Well, now what if I want to lead to YouTube? I got to go do something completely different and it gets really messy. So my vision was for a year, which we've been running Kingston Lane for a year now, my vision was that we would, uh, we would experiment in a very thoughtful and structured way. That we would experiment and figure out what agents were using, what they were not, what was working, what was not, what was changing, what was not. In today's market, things are changing fast. And we realized that three things are really, really important. And I will tell you this, if you want to fix your real estate business, these are the only three things that you need to know. And you can figure out where the hole is. Three things. Number one, the three things are traffic systems and skills. And let me break those down. Traffic essentially means, hey, are you getting enough new opportunities added to your basket? Essentially, that's all it is. Because if you know 10 people and you keep talking to those 10 people about real estate, which is what random coaches tell you to do, they're like, go call your sphere. Like how many times are you going to call Jeff? And what else are you going to say? So you need a larger sphere so you can go through that process. So number one, traffic. How do you actually get new opportunities into this basket? Number two is systems. Well, now that you get the traffic, what do you actually do with it? Because today we know that you and I both have four different email addresses. You and I both have a, a junk email address where we put something into. You and I know that we register for eBooks and downloads and PDFs and webinars. Everything's happening to them, to normal consumers too. And at some point, if you give them some good value, you may activate them, but they're not. Right now, they just want to 
get whatever you promised that you were going to give them. So the second thing I believe that you need is once you have good traffic, like opportunities coming through your new basket, like what do you do with them? And I believe that close to 90% of this, the, the nurture that happens can be done in an automated way, you know, thoughtfully, authentically, and that you don't have to, you can give it the script once and it can get done. So the second thing in systems is how do you actually take those new opportunities that are created and nurture them just enough so that they raise their hand. I just need people to raise their hand and say, yeah, I am Jeff. I am interested in real estate. I want to have a conversation, maybe not now, but at some point, but I need the system to naturally do that before a human gets involved to kind of flesh it out some more. The third one is skills. Once I have new opportunities come to the table and I can manage those opportunities well and someone raises their hand and someone says, yes, I want to talk to you about real estate, that's when we do stupid things. Like it would be amazing if we don't say stupid things at that point because this person's already warmed up, wants to do stuff with us. And the crazy part, Jeff, is that if I had built a company a year ago with a completely different model in mind, I would have not learned those three things. We learned these these three things because we experimented unintentionally what may look like from the outside, but very intentionally. We threw a lot of things against the wall talk to you a lot about this, a lot of things. And we wanted to see what sticks and are fortunate to be able to financially withstand and do that. But what came up, what we, what came about is a glorious solution. So if anybody, if you're listening and you're like, Hey, I want to go my business right now, take a second, think traffic systems or skills is, can I get more opportunities in the basket or do I already have existing opportunities? Do I already have 400 leads that no one has talked to? Do I already have 10 open house registries that I have not actually worked with? You have stuff. Or is it skills? It's like, hey, I'm getting a lot of at-bats. I'm getting a lot of conversations. Like, I, could I change my scripting? Could I change my approach? Could I change my materials? Could I change my flow? Could I do that so I can get better opportunities? And, and, and just at this point, if you, can, if you, the agent, can be really, really honest with yourself and say, hey, I have a traffic problem, a, scripting, uh, a systems problem, or a skills problem, it will showcase a big hole in your business that you can easily fill. So instead of going around looking for the next CRM, you don't have anybody to put in that CRM. So do you have a traffic problem or a systems problem? I don't know, but that's a good question to ask because you don't have a holistic business problem. Only one of those are broken. So Jeff, what we realized and all the new things that we're building at Kings Lane are all tied around traffic systems and skills. How do we actually get you more opportunities? How do we get you to systematically work those opportunities? And how do we get you the skills to convert those opportunities? And I believe that most of the times, an agent just needs one of the three. They don't need all three. But people who want real scale and mastery, they probably need help with all three. But you can come in on day one, pick traffic systems or skills that instantly have an impact in your business. And it's free to kind of check it out. So everyone should check it out. Okay, so let's say I am that agent and I'm listening and I'm like, all right, now I'm going to raise my hand and I do have an issue with one or two or three or all of them. What does that look like? So I come in, I, I go straight to kingstonlane.com, uh-huh. right? I sign up and I'm like, okay, yeah, I need more traffic. So what is Kingston Lane going to do for me to increase traffic? Yeah, good question. So let's, let's, take, the, um, let's take each of those examples, right? Uh-huh. So traffic is a good example. A lot of times in, uh, companies will say, we'll get you more leads. But the problem is, I think of it as leads on demand. You don't need more leads all the time. You just need more leads when you need more leads. And a lot of times companies or systems will say, well, just pay us you know, $1,800 a month and we'll constantly be generating leads for you. But most people are like, well, I have 15,000 leads already. I don't, it closes spigot for a while. 
And so what we think about is we call it, you know, push button or on demand. So if you can say, hey, I want, I have a small budget today. I have a new listing coming on. I want to spend $50 and I want to promote this listing so I can build my brand, get more leads, get buyers. You spend it very tactically and you just say in three clicks that you have a chance to do an ad and generate leads based on one specific area of interest. And I think a lot of times what agents think is, oh my gosh, I need to go do an ad. Oh, what should my ad say? What should my picture say? What should my copy say? What should it link to? What's the website it links to? And what should, what should my targeting be? What should my demographics be? You take all of that away and you can still do it for small amounts. The, the best agents right now, the reasons they're getting good results is you're, they're using agency-like services where you pay a Facebook agency a certain amount of money and they go do, do all your stuff. But you have to lay out $2,800, $3,400, $5,000 a month just in retainer fees. And we thought, wouldn't it be amazing when an agent got a listing to just put $100 and generate leads right away? And we wanted to bring the micro investments a really good opportunity for, for agents. So that's on the traffic side. On the system side, we have it's probably our flagship program. And we've created this system where it's called Revenue Systems. And the entire idea is everything nurture just is on nurture on autopilot. So a lead comes in until the lead ever responds. They are in all kinds of email, artificially intelligent email, text message, and sequences that just force them to work through the machine and raise their hands. So now it's not like in 90 days something stops and they're just sitting there. There's a machine that just runs forever, nurturing these leads forever. And so that's a really nice thing when you know you generate a lead at an open house, you can put them in our system. We call it the beast. You got to feed the beast mm-hmm. and then out pops appointments. So our job is to say, hey, feed the beast. That's your job. Everything else the beast should just do. And so the second part of the systems is it's been amazing to see, watch this happen where people take old dead leads that they haven't talked to in 10 years. They put them through our system. They haven't done anything. And suddenly in 17 days, they get a come listen me call and they don't know how this happens because our, you know, the system just started working. So that's systems part two. So you're telling me that if somebody has, so in your system, in Kingston Lane system, if they put, uh, let's just say I have an old list, right? Yep. Open house list or whatever. I put it in. You're telling me I don't have to go in on the back end and set up the scripting of the texts and the emails and whatever it does, the right. automation. Right. It's already done for me? Correct. And everything is included in meaning... We connect up the leads with Zapier. We load the leads up. We Because we don't want the agent to do that because that's where they start to stumble, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, we even pay for the CRM system. We actually white label a billion dollar CRM system and we just pay for it for the agent. I don't expect the agent to ever log into the system because I know that we're looking at- They well, won't. No, yeah, I don't think they should because the problem is, so here's what I believe should happen. You should hand us a database and we should get you engagement with the database and appointments. That's it. You hand us a database, we get you engagement and appointments. You should wake up in the morning and you should have a new appointment. And, and we can do that with online calendar links. However we do that shouldn't be the issue, but you hand us a dead database and we hand you engagement and appointments. And in the middle, that's the machine. That's how the things should work. And you do nothing. And all we believe is that you should just get appointments and reporting. You should just get a report that says, this is what we did. So you know exactly what was happening on your behalf. And I'll tell you the best part, the one thing that I learned and this is going to be in all my companies, especially in Kingston Land, is no contracts, no commitments. Because no con- people will be like, hey, you know what? It's a one-year contract, one-year term, put you on hold. No, if we can't actually, and this has got nothing to do with the Kingston Land pitch. It's more a, a philosophical kind of promise, right? If we can't add enough value through the process, then you should stop paying us. 
done at any point in time. And people are like, oh, you know, agents will quit when they have a bad month. I'm like, not if you're offering a lot of value mm -hmm. and not if you're offering the result that you promise. So it's no contracts, no commitments. And our job is to say, hey, how can we get more people into the beast? How can we feed the beast so that the beast just works for you and delivers engagement and appointments? All right. Uh, that is amazing. One and two. So now tell me about three. So from a skills perspective, I really believe that the fastest way to doubling your income right now, the fastest way to doubling your income right now is just upgrading your skills. You don't need more leads. You don't need more conversion taxing. You don't need any of that. The fastest way is just upgrading your skills. And here's what I mean by that. Can you just learn, you've, Jeff, you've um, sold through all your listing inventory and now you're like, oh my gosh, I need some new listings. How do I create some opportunities for myself? Well, if you just dramatically upgrade your skills, everyone's like, what the heck does dramatically upgrade your skills mean? I go, well, wouldn't it be amazing if someone actually who has done this before gave you a script that you can text your past clients to generate more deals? So for example, let's actually do a live script and give people some money, right? So the script that you would use is the number one reason why Jeff, the agent, doesn't follow up with his clients, normally speaking, is because he's like, well, I sold a home to Sharon. Sharon's probably not going to buy or sell his home for another seven to 10 years. Let me go do something else. Let me not bother Sharon right now. Let him move in, and I'll check back with him in a while. And the check back in a while never happens. And that's why we get to being this you know, bad follow-up name on ourselves. So I was thinking, well, if I knew, if Jeff, the agent, knew that Sharon was going to buy a home in 10 days, 10 days after he just got sold a home, Jeff would follow up with Sharon just fine. There would be no problem there. And I think that's the problem. We don't see another avenue for opportunity. So we just go finding opportunity. So I believe in something called continuous inventory. There's always inventory for ourselves. And so I love when agents reach back out to their existing clients to engage in the investing conversation, just engage in it. Because I believe that our best clients come from our best clients. And so I always tell agents, this is the easiest script to write. You say, and ex this exactly this way. You're like, hey, Jeff. I was just thinking about you. Hey, Jeff, period. I was thinking about you, period. Periods are very important. Have you ever thought of a real estate as an investment, period? So it's not a question. Would you like me to send you three investment profiles for your review, question mark? So now it says, hey, Jeff, cool, awesome. Been a while since I've seen you or thinking about you, cool. Hey, have you ever considered real estate as an investment? It's a statement, not a question. Because that's where you get the answers, which are, I don't know, I have not. And then you say, would you like me to send you three investment profiles for your review? Now you're like, wait, now you're curious. It's created the curiosity that we heard about today. And now you as the client, Jeff, are almost deeply curious and semi-obligated to say yes. And that's the best part. And now the agent can say, just take three MLS tear sheets from three investment properties that they think are good and just send it to them in, in, in seeding a conversation. But the problem here is no one wants to have that. That's it. To me, that's a skill perspective. It lets you generate more leads, more appointments. What about other skills like, hey, I'm actually getting on buyer consultations, but not getting buyer broker agreement signed. Or I'm getting enlisting living, living rooms, but I'm not getting listing signed. Those are all skill conversations. You did all the hard work. You paid all the money. You did geographic farming. You got the appointment and you got in the living room. Then you jacked up. Like That's insane. I've actually talked to agents where I, I, and they tell me, hey, I'm closing a 50-50 win rate on my listing appointments. And I'm like, are you kidding? And you think that's good? And then I see people, Jeff, on the other end that are like, oh, I have a 95 appointment close, listing appointment close rate. I'm like, you're not going on enough appointments. Anytime someone tells me I got a 95 appointment close rate, I'm like, you're just not going on enough appointments. That's the problem. And so when there's a, and I think skill, I believe that skill is done daily. Skill is done daily. And so what we did is we built this thing called the Kingston Lane Mastermind. And the idea was 
wouldn't it be amazing to have a place where you could dial into, it's all Zoom calls, but you could also dial in, dial into every single day of the week at the same time. So we do a 10 a.m. Pacific time, but we record everything. But every single day of the week, there's one skill-based component that we install and deploy in the agent. And this is like amazing stuff, but we do it every single day of the week. So you always know from 10 a.m. to 10.30, 10 a.m. to 10.45, there's a skill upgrade that you can naturally install in your life, which will insanely, quickly, and right away impact the growth of your business. And people minimize an upgrade in skills. People minimize that. And I always ask them this. I said, hey, Jeff, you've been selling real estate for 14 years now. Let's just assume everything was the same. You had the same team. You had the same number of leads. You had the same number of agents. You had the same brokerage. But you, you had your capability level of when you started in this business, your skill level. Would you close the same? Would you? And, they, and every single time, what do they say? No, no way. So that's how you need to think about yourself is, hey, imagine me 14 years ago, whenever you started in the business, what is that skill jump? And that's what's made me who I am. Can I just upgrade my skill? And can I automatically get an upgrade in my results? And that's why we do this. It's an amazing commitment. We put out more content from a teaching perspective than I would say any coaching company combined because nobody's doing daily, Mm -hmm. daily stuff every single day. And recorded and kept in a library that you can just, is searchable. So I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to leave a skill repository, a skill academy for everybody? Even if you needed nothing else and you just wanted your team to have better skills, that could really, really upgrade. So we've completely centered our entire company around how do we get better traffic? How do we have better systems? And how do we have better skills? And we're not focused on doing anything else. Do you find, so daily, that's a lot of content. And we're probably talking, what, uh, half an hour to hour, yep. you know, yep. uh, uh, recordings. So uh, what do you say to the agent uh, who just says, you know, that's just not realistic. I, there's no way I'm going to consume that. You know, I, I, I might listen to one a week. Right. So the, 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 and I appreciate that the answer here is, well, uh, would you like to double your business or not? Right. If you believe, I think this is. I think this is not a skill problem. I. I actually think that this is a belief system problem. If we believe that we can do better, and that is just getting a still skill installed in our lives, then we should go get a skill installed in our lives. You know, like I tell my. I tell my son. My son. Son's really. He's a really smart kid. He wants to do some cool stuff. And I said, Hey, to do all the cool stuff you want to do, you need to get. You need to go to this cool math after school program. And he said, well, if that's what it takes, I'm going to go get that new capability. So if a seven-year-old is willing to say, I need a new capability, what are, why can't a person build their day around, you know, a 30 minute block? In fact, all this, the topics are scheduled in advance. You know, whether that's relevant or not, or you can also use it as an on-demand resource. But I will tell you that when me and my partner, Steve, and we try to put out this content and we try to create these trainings, I am thinking about how can an agent using one to two tactics instantly install this in their business and double their business. And that's where the root, the source of this inspiration is coming from. That's why it allows us to actually create so much because without any repeat in any content ever, we're building new stuff every single day. And that also allows us to stay really sharp. And so really committing to a capability upgrade is, is super powerful. How sustainable is that? How sustainable is the plan of putting out new content every single day? 
I think at some point it's going to morph into a on like a university, uh, if you will, where instead of it being pieces of content, it ends up being a library of call it mini coursework. So you're like, hey, I got a new assistant. What do I do with this assistant? Oh, Kingston Lane has an assistant onboarding program. It's 10 modules, five minutes each. Hey, hey, Jim, the assistant, go watch this, these 10 videos, and then let's chat after. So you don't have to teach your new assistant about how a commission check is cut, what GCI is like. I envision things like that because you're now giving your team a skill upgrade. Or you got a new agent, buyer's agent on board, and they need buyer scripting. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to spend three hours a day teaching them. Instead of you spending three hours a day teaching them, they can instantly upgrade their skills. So I, I see it going into more of a modularized, hey, tracks, if you will. Mm-hmm. And at some point, like even now we have, like we could build a mini university from what we have, but I'm, we're thinking more about how can we make this a on-demand where I want something, I go get something. I mean, it'd be pretty cool to actually tell Alexa, hey, Alexa, you know, I'm going on a buyer consultation tomorrow. What are the five things I should know? see that as the future because it gives access to information on demand training pressure right there. And that's, I think where it gets, when there's nothing more power, I don't get excited. You as an, you as an salesperson, individual entrepreneur, you don't get excited when you generate new leads. You're, you're like, Oh cool. I got new leads. How much did I pay for them? You don't get super excited when you see a system working. You're like, okay, cool. I'm paying the software. It should work. But when you get a skill upgrade, when you can walk into a living room, or a boardroom or a buyer consultation with more confidence and more swagger that changes how you show up every single day. The only thing that can transform how you think about the world is a skill upgrade and skill upgrades are insanely powerful for confidence and swagger and confidence and swagger. Jeff and Sharon walk into a listing appointment. Jeff and Sharon say exactly the same thing. Jeff and Sharon have the same value proposition. Jeff and Sharon, you're way better looking than I am, but Jeff and Sharon have the same rapport. Who wins? the person with the more confidence and more swagger wins guaranteed the confidence and the swagger only comes from the skill upgrade. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's amazing. So I'm even thinking, so as, as a leader or a broker, you know, somebody who has a team, the opportunity to invest in this as the person who's bringing the content to your team, that's, that's massive. Value. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I think that there's a, we don't just have an opportunity. This is kind of our responsibility right now. Uh, we have a lot of forces in our industry saying, Hey, I'm going to eliminate the agent. I'm a buyer. Buyer agency is going to go away. All that interesting stuff that's happening. But a highly skilled agent is an always valuable agent. Mm -hmm. And I would say do whatever it takes to upgrade your skills every single day. So speaking of skills, uh, you talked about a skill today in your talk, uh, a, a skill that I actually have written on my whiteboard in my office and I use it and regurgitate it and reteach it, which is how to create the proper video, right? And, and, the, and the answer is, uh, you know, a lot of agents, you get in front of your camera and you immediately start, you, you start with, hey, it's Jeff, I'm here in front of, and yeah. bam, you lost the list. Right? You lost the viewer, right? right? And you talk about the hook, the story, the offer. So let's talk, explain to them, this is a skill yeah. that they should implement right now. Yeah, I think uh, I do really well. So if, if everybody's anything like me, I do really well when I have a framework, I have a blueprint, I have kind of a plan, right? And uh, we should all, we all get very excited when, when someone says, hey, you check into a hotel, they say, here's your room key and they hand you a map for a reason. Like they don't need to, you can find your way there, but it in- instantly reduces the stress level of the guest. And so 
for, for the agent, most of the time when they want to do videos, they're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? And I always say, listen, the video is not about you. It's about them. They're like, yeah, 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 give value. Like, well, now at some point I'm going to like ban the use of the word value because we all say we need to provide more value, but there's no tactical implementation of that. And the interesting part is this, Jeff, the interesting part is every time I get in the camera, like what is going to set the intention and how can I deliver that, you know, that, that piece of content. And so there's this format called the hook story offer the hook Essentially, you have the first three to five seconds to create a little curiosity as to why the person should continue watching the video. The story is supporting the hook. The story is saying, hey, I told you about this something cool, and I'm going to tell you why this thing is. And the offer, or what we may call a call to action, the offer is just, hey, now that you've heard the hook, now that you've heard the story, what would you like to do about this? Do you want to talk about this? Do you want to click here? Do you want to get a value home valuation? Do you want to search for homes, et cetera? But when you follow that framework, like a bunch of cool things happen, right? So for example, let's make up a hook. Say interest rates went down. Instead of saying, did you know interest rates went down? Or my favorite one, are you curious if the value of interest, if the interest rates actually affected the value of your home? Like that's interesting, but nobody's thinking that way. We need to write a hook that enters the conversation in their minds. We need to write a hook that is a topic that is already a debate that's already going on in their mind and you want to hijack that debate and enter that debate. So if the interest rates went down, they may be thinking like, oh, the interest rates went down, I should probably talk to my friend Jeff because he's the mortgage whisperer, right? Or interest rates went down, I wonder what that does for my monthly payment. Interest rates went down, you're like, oh, is it going to keep going down? Should I refinance now? Interest rates went down, hey, can I still afford my home? So now I have a few thoughts on what the hook could be. So I may say something like, uh, in the hook of the video, I turn the video on and I say something like, uh, do, has the reduction in rates actually affected the value of your home? Has reduction in rates changed your monthly payment? And then generally, Jeff, what I like to do right after the hook is to always do an intro that time because you've earned the right to tell them who you are because you need a little bit of clarity, credibility. They're like, otherwise it's like, who is this person telling me this stuff? So you say, hey, have the change in interest rates actually changed your monthly payment? Hi, my name is Jeff Fitzer and I with USA Mortgage. And I want to tell you the three questions my clients are asking me right now when they're applying for a mortgage with the new interest rate environment. So now I've done the hook and I've done the intro. The story is the three questions. The three questions I get asked over and over. And if you're anything like me, you will get this too. I love that if you're anything like me because now it, it brings them into your world and makes them feel kind of part of you. And you say, the questions I get are question one, question two, question three. And the interesting part, if those three questions are on your mind, I know that these other three questions are on your mind too. I get these questions a lot and I do them and I have confidence in answering them, not because I'm amazing, not because I'm a superstar, just like play it down. It's because I actually work with these clients, with these issues, with these topics and with these opportunities every single day. And I can walk you through the answer as well. So now you're telling them you've got a little humble brag, but you're also saying I have deep familiarity with this topic. And then, so that's the story. And the offer, I like to be very clear with the offer. So instead of saying, call me, I saying, I actually will say, hey, down below, you will see a blue button. So you take their eyes to that. And when, go ahead and click that button. So you give them a command. When you click that button, you're going to get a message, uh, private message section that allows you to message me directly. You don't even have to talk to me. Just leave me a message and I'd be happy to get back to you with whatever you want. Go ahead and click the blue button. So now you're guiding me through the process. So let's put this whole thing together, right? So you would say the hook. So the hook story offer, the hook would be, 
with the changes in interest rates, does it mean it's affected your monthly payment? Oh, cool, awesome. And you say, hey, my name is Jeff Fitzer. I'm with USA Mortgage, and I specialize in working with you know, people in St. Louis, Missouri. And the three questions that I'm getting asked are one, two, three. And in fact, if you are thinking about those three questions, you are going to think about these other two as well. Now, the interesting part is this. I don't, if I were you, I wouldn't know the answer to these questions. But since I work with these questions on a day-to-day basis and work, walk with my clients through these, I have deep familiarity with these subjects and the solutions surrounding them. If any of these three plus the other two, five questions are on your mind right now, especially related to your monthly payment, go ahead and look at this blue button below. Go ahead and click that button. It'll take you to a private message box, blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So now every, the structure is clean. And before you start the video, you just have to come up with the hook and you just tell the story naturally. Mm-hmm. And then the offer is exactly what you want. The end offer needs to be super clear, right? Uh, I've act, And people say, like, text me. You don't say text me as an offer. You say, as part of my inner circle, I'm actually putting my private cell phone number right here. Go ahead and text my private cell phone number because I know that a quick text back from me can probably save you thousands of dollars a month. Now, the text leaving the number makes sense as opposed to saying, text me. And no one knows what that is. So sure. there's a there's a lot of ways to, and you can say, hey, you can call my, you know, I've left my phone number for old school reasons because a lot of times I know that it's easier to talk through a situation as opposed to text a situation. And the best part is this, you don't even have to talk to me. Go ahead and click the number and you can just leave me a voicemail and I'll just review it and break everything down for you. Now you're giving them like, hey, they don't want to get sold, right? So your call to action, if it's really um, soft, they're going to take more of it. And so I always say text, no one's going to dig the text me below. But if you tell them, oh my gosh, I'm leaving my private number, text me. Now they're like, oh my gosh, this is pretty cool. Jeff did that. And you get get more endearment. The more endearment you get, the hook story offer starts to work well. That's amazing. So, and and would you say that, um, in my opinion, and I could be wrong about this, and I'm curious to know your answer, of those three elements, the most important piece is probably the hook? Yeah, there no, there is, if there is no hook, you got no message, right? The hook is the only way to capture the attention. If not, the rest of your message is not getting anywhere. So even if you just did the hook in the video and you did nothing else and you're like, message me, I'll tell you more, you may still win. But a great message doesn't give you a great result without a hook. So let's give let's give one more example, and let's use a, a new listing or an open house, either one. Yep. Give uh, the listener an example of how they need to be shipped, because we all know that everybody listening here, you probably stood in front of a house of a new listing or an open house, yeah. held your phone out, and did a video, and you yeah. probably sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how could they make it better? Yeah. So let's take an open house for example. So for example, if you say. And we'll make up some things, right? The open house, this is what most people do. Hey, it's Jeff Fitzer with, you know, USA Real Estate. I'm here at 123 Main Street. It's a three-bedroom, true bad, 3,500 square foot, 400 square foot yard, blah, blah, blah. No mellow roofs. Uh, and it's listed for, you know, $786,000. You've got, and like, you've lost me already. Like, you've lost me already. And I'm watching you. I'm watching the video being done. There is no hook in there. The way to do a hook for a property is one of my favorite things is using the only statement. You've got to find something that only that property has. And I guarantee there's something that is very only to that property. For example, you would say something like, um, the hook would be, do you want to know the 
only home under a million dollars in Laguna Beach with an ocean view. Yes, you heard me right. The only home under a million dollars in Laguna Beach with an ocean view. Let me show you. Come with me. Now it's completely different, right? So yes, the, the, the agent is listening saying, well, yeah, Sean, you're talking about the only home under a million. No, let's, let's come up with something. Hey, do you want to know? I love the only home, right? Uh, have you seen, whatever the question, do you want to know? Have, have you seen the only listing right now that has four bedrooms and four baths but still zoned in the Westminster zip code or Westminster school system. This is the only home west of this. And you can say, so how can you come up with the only, and then you start to make so many specifics and that gets very exciting. So people are like, oh my gosh, they remember the only, and you become the guy or gal with the only. The easiest way to get a hook is to always use the only statement. Uh, You can also use something polarizing, which is, would you rather have a two car garage or an office. Well, my name is Jeff Fitzer, and I got to tell you that this is the only time you get both a two-car garage and an office at this. So you can go something like that, mm-hmm. right? So you can ask that, would you rather, and still combine the two, or, or tell them, hey, you're in luck. I have two homes coming. One has a two-car garage, and one has an office. Too bad they're not together. But if you're interested in the two-car garage, you may be interested in one, two, three, main. If you're interested in the office, you may be interested in 74 division. Now you can split it. But when you go only, it starts to really focus kind of their, their folk, uh, opinion it. on it. I love it. So would you say that with that hook, so let's just say, again, you're using an example, which is a pretty cool example, which is a ocean view home in Laguna Beach. Um, we're talking, let's talk, we're talking to somebody in St. Louis. We're talking to somebody inland, right? They don't have all that cool, fancy stuff. We're talking about uh, $150,000 modest home, yep. right? Yeah. But every home has something. It's a feature that you can highlight, right? Yep. And you can make a hook. Yeah. And I think that's what the listener needs to, to really understand that, hey, if it has a big backyard, that's your hook. Yeah. You need to check out this huge backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only objection that I feel like you might get sometimes is, well, if I do that and they don't want a big backyard or they don't want a pool or they don't care about the kitchen, well, I lost them. Totally. And so when you think that always, I, I totally agree with that. When you think that always frame the rest of it, right? So for example, you would say the only home with four basketball hoops in the back in, in the backyard right now in St. Louis, but that's not all. Let me tell you the five other things that this home has, right? So when you do that, they're like, oh, this is cool, right? And then let me tell you the five other things. So if you feel like there's something so unique that's going to pigeonhole you, just say, but that comes with a whole 3,000 square foot house. Let me take you through it. So if you frame the second part of it, you can always do that. I think, it's a, I think it's a belief system where we, at the end of the day, we're selling, we're not putting the home for sale at a certain price. We have to, you, you have to romance the buyer. Like I have to emotionally fall in love with the home. And that's super important. And you can't do that unless you fixate me on something. And the fixation is pretty important. It's awesome. Uh, that's fantastic. All right. So we are going on about 50 minutes now. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up because we try to keep these under an hour and I could talk to you for another two hours and it's Sharon's, way past Sharon's bedtime, by the way. Let me ask you a question that I don't, I've never heard the answer to this question, but I'm, but so this is why I'm asking. What's next? What's next for Sharon's Rivata? And I'm not talking, you know, you gave us Kingston Lane, the playbook, right? We know what's coming. So don't tell me that, okay, you're evolving Kings Lane. What, let's just say Kings Lane just crushes it and it's like your other businesses and you end up selling it. 
What's next for for Sharon Srivatsa? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. My my dream has always been to build something that is a household name. Uh, my pinnacle of success is uh, not got nothing to do with economic or financial success, but I would like a household name. For example, it would be awesome to build Kleenex. Kleenex is a house. Everybody knows that. And it doesn't have to be Kleenex. It can be Goodwill. Goodwill Kleenex is worth way more than Goodwill, but Goodwill is a household name. And I think that there is different people, uh, and this may be a little hokey, but I learned pretty in the last few years, Jeff, that uh, for a while, you, you're in the theory phase of your life. You're like, hey, this is theory. This is cool. Awesome. Now I get to practice it. Okay, this is cool. I get to practice this theory. Awesome. I see some success. I get a job. Oh, great. I get to put it into play. I build a business. Awesome. Well, I get to build one, two, three, five, ten businesses. Cool. That's awesome. We've had three exits so far and at 13 portfolio companies. I'm very grateful for that. But I just realized that I was working with my coach and she's like, you're just not being honest with yourself. And I said, what am I not being honest with myself about? He says, you're, the joy that you get from seeing other people succeed is way more than what you get when you succeed. The joy that you get when you see other people succeed is way more. So I started to realize that you know, hanging out with you, watching you just crush it, grow your business, grow your team, and watching your success from a contribution perspective lights me up way more than what I'm doing. And it's got nothing to do with economics. If everything were taken away from me, I think this insight is way more powerful to me that um, not from a coaching per se perspective, but I believe in, you know, there are a few CEOs that I mentor and having them have insane success just lights me up big time. So I'm always looking for, hey, who can, who or which organization can be the next big impact play that I can mentor in some way. And when I say mentor, I just mean, how, you know, kind of serve in mentorship, right? Like how can I, how can I do it in such a way that that person doesn't have to go through, how can I compress decades into days for that person? And I just realized, I got really honest with myself that I've realized that contribution is, lights me up way more. And I was lying to myself. I was not honest with myself about it. And uh, so I spend most of my days now in, in two things, creation and contribution. So how can I create cool new ideas, which is awesome, which is fun, and the team hates it because I give them more stuff to do, right? And then contribution is, hey, how can I actually bring the joy out, and share with great people, and fly out and see you, and share stuff with your team, et cetera. I don't, you don't need to have me. I don't need to do that. But I just realized that contribution was good. So if there's a way to combine those two where I can build a household brand and see that succeed for other people, that would be pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. So... Uh, speaking of contribution, so what is the best way for people to find Kingston Lane? Uh, maybe if they wanted to contact you, what's the best? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so I'd say everybody should just. Uh, uh, what happened was the 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 one I want to give you all leave you all with something. The one thing that happened was after we grew our business ten x in five years, I took some time off and I just reflected on five years of lessons and. I wrote them down for myself, not to be hokey, just like and memorialized for myself so that I wouldn't make those mistakes again. I would internalize those learnings. And pretty cool that like that, just that I wrote 37 lessons learned. They're all in just bullet point format. There's no sales pitch of anything. And that got picked up by a bunch of cool magazines and things like that. But the original version of that is still on, on my website. So it's 10xin5years.com. So just very easy to remember. 
10xin5years.com. And there's nothing to sell there. It's just for you to, you know, it took my five years of experiences and I compressed them into 37 bullet points. I think everybody should read that so that they can stand on the shoulders of my five years of pain, growth, success, history, doing all of that. And you can get it in less than two minutes. So 10xin5years.com should be a good start, starting point for most folks. One zero, the letter X, I N, the number five, years.com. Exactly right. Perfect. And so, and if they are interested in uh, increasing traffic or getting better systems or improving their skills, they should go where? They should go to kingstonlane.com. So thank you, kingstonlane.com. I would just sign up for a free account. Just sign up for a free account and use that to check it out because, you know, you got to check out what you like first. Remember, no contracts. No contracts, no commitments. Check it out first. That's pretty awesome. That is really awesome. What about if someone wants to improve their tennis skills? Tennis skills, man. We're going $10,000 an hour right now. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks this for doing it. Cool, Thanks for man. having me. Yeah. This is just good me. conversation. Yeah. I love it, man. So it's, uh, it's going on 1036 here in Southern California. I need to go put Sharon to bed. <laughs> We're going to wrap this thing up. This has been a blast. Again, if you love this podcast, if you just even like it a little bit, uh, remember to share it, to, to comment on it, to leave, us, to leave us comments, to leave us reviews, to like us. Um, but we really just appreciate the feedback, and we really love it when you share it with your colleagues. We hope we're bringing value to you, um, and we want to continue to do so, and we want to continue to grow this thing. So, Sharon, thank you again. My awesome. Mind. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Agents Podcast.